Hello and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller written by or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Kenny-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. So this week we are discussing You, uh, the TV show and the novel, which was written by Caroline Kepnes. And the show was created by Sarah Gamble. This pilot episode that we will be discussing was written by Sarah Gamble and Greg Berlanti. And it stars Elizabeth Blale, Penn Badgley, and Shay Mitchell. We do want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in-depth on every aspect of this pilot. So if you care about that, go watch the TV show or read the book and come back. We'll be waiting. Based on the best-selling novel by Caroline Kepnes of the same name, You is a 21st century love story that asks, what would you do for love? When a brilliant bookstore manager crosses path with an aspiring writer, his answer becomes clear. Anything. This episode also features trigger warnings for stalking, domestic violence, general violence, emotional and mental abuse, sexual harassment, and toxic masculinity. This episode contains a plethora of explicit content, so viewer and listening discretion is advised. Do not listen to this one with your kids in the car or at work. Hello, ladies. Hello. As you can tell, we are not alone today. It is not just Lacey and Laura in the Fatal Femme studio. We have an extra special guest. Laura, introduce. We have back with us Laura Ray. If you remember our episode on In a Dark, Dark Wood, she was our guest, and we're so happy to have her back again. Yay! Thank you so much, Laura and Lacey. I am so excited to be back because I love you guys so much, <gasps> and I love this show and this book a lot, so I'm very excited. Well, we love you, and we are so excited to get started and talk about this, because, whoa. <laughs> whoa. So this one was actually recommended to me by two different people, Laura Ray being one of them, and the other one we will mention later. Back when it first aired on Lifetime, I remember seeing the previews for it and thinking, oh, that looks really good. And then, you know, we got the book in the bookstore that I work in, which is probably another reason that I really love this show, because lots to do about books. And it just looked really interesting, but I don't tend to watch a lot of TV live anymore, so I was like, ah, eh, I probably missed it. I'll just wait for it to come to Netflix, and now... Netflix bought it so and it's a phenomenon yes literally I had never heard of it I did not know it existed I'm, I don't watch Lifetime a lot so I hadn't heard of it and then it seemed to just blow up out of nowhere like Bird Box like mm -hmm. around the same time as Bird Box everyone was talking about you and Laura Ray actually was the one that introduced me to it yes um I read the book about a year ago, um, a mutual friend of all of ours, Chance, recommended it to me and told me that it was very scary, and I love scary books, and it was. I read it in like two days, and I was super engrossed and terrified. And then when I saw that it was uh, on Netflix, I was like, well, I have to watch it, and I love the cast. Pin Badgley? Pin Badgley. I'm sorry. I'm so bad with names. He's fantastic, and it was just like all around great casting for the show. You never have to be sorry here at Fatal Femmes. <laughs> Thanks, guys. People have really, really hard names to pronounce sometimes, and um, I personally have first-hand experience of butchering those names, so it's <laughs> totally fine. I do a lot of name butchering myself. So, Laura Ray, you have read the book. I've listened to half of the book, and Lacey, you have not read the book at all. As usual, you are correct. I'm not book-shaming you. No. That's not what's happening. No, I don't. <laughs> Can I just say that I love book shaming can that be a thing <laughs> i i often book shame myself because i really have a hard time sitting down and reading sometimes just because my attention span isn't great 
but I have recently discovered that I love listening to books. And you were talking about the audio version of this one, Laura Ray, and it sounds incredible. So I might have to add that to my Audible account. Definitely. Santino Montana. He was fantastic. He's so menacing. His voice, uh, it was terrifying because I listened after having read the book. I did listen to part of the audiobook, and I was much more scared hearing a male, yeah, very menacing, sinister voice. Um, it made a big difference, and he does a great job. The audiobook is fantastic. I'm listening to it right now, and the difference in perception that I have of the lead character from the TV show to the audiobook is very drastic. For one thing we were talking about earlier, I think in the book, so everything is from his perspective and how he perceives it and what his reactions are to everything. Whereas in the TV show, we do get some outside perspective from Beck and from some of the other characters. So it is more difficult to listen to and a lot scarier mm -hmm. coming just from Joe's side of things. Absolutely. I, I felt the exact same way. I watched, I watched all of the show and I read the entire book. I feel like the book scared me much more because again it's just like Laura said it's all from Joe's eyes everything that we see is from his perspective it's a lot of stream of consciousness too um, which I actually really liked it well and you talk about the voice of the actor who read the book mm -hmm. being really menacing and sinister mm -hmm. and Penn Badgley is not known for being mean or sinister or any of those things so that probably made him a much more palatable Joe yes which can be a good and bad thing which we can discuss later Definitely. Definitely. For those of you who've been with us before, you know that we will talk about the book and the TV show and we'll mention things that are different because they're both really, really good. But of course, there are differences when you adapt something for screen. There are different things that you will or won't be able to include that you can easily do in a book. We start off with this really beautiful shot of New York City. There's this lovely music. It's just kind of everything that you would dream of New York City being. The weather is beautiful. The streets are beautiful. We fly in on this quaint little bookshop. Sun's streaming in through the windows. You can see dust particles in the little sunspots. And everyone's perusing books. And there's lots of wood and old things and you can almost smell the pages and just smell the interior and really get a sense of this is a very old bookshop. It's everything that you imagine a bookstore being and absolutely nothing like any bookstore I've ever been to in my entire life and nothing like the bookstore that I work in because <laughs> this is beautiful and calm and he has a chance to observe and have long conversations with people and it's one of those bookstores that everyone it, it that it's shown in television as being this very easygoing, calm job where everyone just loves it. It's very simple and you just live a very simple life and it never really exists anywhere else except that in, yeah. in entertainment. <laughs> yeah, like when I got a job at a bookstore, I thought it would be having long scholarly talks with people and flirting with cute nerdy guys all the time. And <laughs> how often does that happen? Never. Never. Our clientele is pretty much moms with toddlers, moms looking for their kids' high school reading books, cute little old couples, and mean little old couples. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty much it. The dudes we do get in tend to be married with toddlers. Can I just say, though, at least you don't have any Joes coming into your bookstore. Am I right? Well, that is very true. I have not yet. You worked with someone that was kind of like Joe. Uh-oh. 
Do you remember who I'm talking about? I did. There was a guy that I worked with who would follow customers around, and he was, he came across as very charming and everything, but no, he is a total creeper, terrible employee. No, but this actually, this interior of um, the bookstore was actually filmed on a set built in the Bronx, but the storefront is an actual bookstore that's in um, Manhattan called Logos Bookstore, I think. And that's mainly where the exteriors are shot, but so this, the interior is a set, but the exterior shots are an actual bookstore. So you can go visit it. It's always so interesting to me how they can piece together things like that. Like, especially with houses, how you can take the exterior and we just assume that what we've seen inside is the inside of that house or that building when usually it's not. Yeah, normally they're very two separate locations. Mm-hmm. In walks the lady that becomes Joe's obsession. Beck. One thing that I think is really interesting about this first introduction to her is we don't see her face for a while. He's just talking about, oh, your shirt is loose, so that means you don't want people to look at you, but you have these jingly bracelets, so that means people, you do want people to look at you. Yeah, he's creepily observant. He can read people very well, because it's not just, oh, she's wearing bracelets. He goes into the psychology of why she's wearing the bracelet, or why she's wearing her hair up or why she's wearing that shirt or why she is or isn't wearing a bra. He can read people very well and it's extremely creepy. I was also going to add that it's all from a perspective of like, you're doing this because you want male attention, which is also really frightening. Yes. (laughs) That's one thing I wanted to ask you guys. Is he right in these type of observations? Because when I get dressed for the day, I don't ever think about how people are going to perceive what I'm wearing. I think about, is this going to be comfortable? Is is it going to, you know, pinch my waist at work? Or can I move in this shirt? I've never once thought, oh, my bracelets will jingle, so that will cause people to look at me. Mm-hmm. I Here's the thing. I don't think Bet got up in the morning and said, hey, let me dress to get as much attention as I possibly can. I think that this does speak to her personality, though. Because I think she is a person that cares about what she looks like. Mm-hmm. She does care about appearance. She does care about how she comes off mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do think that plays into how she carries herself and what she wears. I don't think it's to get male attention, though. Definitely. So if her bracelets jingle, she may want attention. But I don't think she's like, ooh, come flirt with me because I have jingly bracelets. So like the scene where she reaches up to grab a book and he goes, oh, you're not wearing a bra and you want me to notice that you're not wearing a bra. Is that something that happens? Well, speaking of someone that cannot go without a bra, because that's just not a reality for me. Sorry if that's TMI. Is that something that happens? I mean, like, to, to flirt with someone, so I'm like, oh, I'm not wearing a bra, so let me show I'm not wearing a bra so you can, like, see my boob. <laughs> like, see the outline of my boob? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know either. Oh, I've, I've never done it myself. No. As someone who can't wear a bra. But honestly, if I didn't have to wear a bra, I probably wouldn't. So I don't think it was necessarily like, oh, let me show you. I think that was one of those toxic things that we're talking about, his toxic observations. And I wanted to add, absolutely, I think that it has, it, it plays so much into how Joe, as and we'll see throughout the book and the show, rationalizes everything he does, no matter what it may be. And this is another rationalization of like, you want me to see this. You want me to come on to you. This is all, everything you're doing is, again, about, like, male attention, and I'm going to feed into that. Um, so, yeah, I just, I think it's it, it's a Joe thing, for sure. <laughs> so, stepping back a second before they have this 
Well, he has this I thing where, uh, with the bra, she her face finally comes into focus, but only at the very last second. Mm-hmm. So ev- her face is a blur to us. I don't know what that means exactly, but it has a lot of weight to me, the fact that he's made all these observations about her and her body and her psychology, and we don't see her face until she's literally right in front of him i think it's because the face isn't what's important i think she fits the type i think joe has a type because i could see him being the kind of person that would say oh i have a type i'm only attracted to these women so he's like oh blonde hair dresses like this wants a little attention Mm -hmm. but not too much because she's shy like that Mm -hmm. and so she like checks all these boxes physically and the face is the last thing that's important to him Absolutely. I was going to say very similar. It's a way he dehumanizes her in a lot of ways where, you know, as much as he, you know, is obsessed with her, he does dehumanize her a lot throughout the course of the book and the show. I mean, that's just one of the, and I think that was the filmmaker showing us that. And Penn Badgley as an actor makes it, it's almost scary watching it because we talk about this. You find yourself siding with Joe or rooting for Joe a lot. This is one of those moments that if you really pay attention to what he's saying, it is so icky. It's so gross. But when you first watch the show, I found myself not noticing that at first. But the second viewing, it became really apparent and really unsettling to me. Definitely. The first time I watched it, I was like, okay, wow, he's really insightful and knows a lot about people. But this, we just finished watching the pilot again before we started recording. My reaction to him and the things that he's saying is so different the second time around. Because the way he approaches Joe, and it's kind of brilliant, it's very disarming. Mm-hmm. Because, And I think that that's probably what entices Beck too. Mm-hmm. He's disarming. He's charming. He doesn't present a threat. And the audience picks up on that. I was going to say, yeah, he's very unassuming. Um, he's charismatic, but in a sort of like, oh, but I'm a really nice and like sensitive guy. Um, like in a humble way. Very humble way. Yeah, it doesn't that, come that, off as obnoxious. Absolutely. That's a great word. Um, so it is. I, I think disarming is the best way to describe it. Well, and he's good looking, but not in a threatening way. Right. I have to give it to whoever cast this show. They really did pick someone who really fit that bill because we societally have been taught because of biases that are in our society who is safe and who is not safe absolutely but he kind of teeters on that line just because he just he can look a little sinister at times but for the most he just looks like an all-american guy and our societal bias tells us oh he's okay Mm -hmm. so that plays into how easily and how definitely he's able to get in and pursue this woman Definitely. I, if we weren't in his head as an audience, um, I think that, and some, and, you know, of course we, we see everything that happens, but if you're not in his head, he would seem like a very like sweet, charming guy. It's the fact that we as an audience know everything mm-hmm. that makes him so terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And let's get into those things. So they have this really cute exchange at the bookstore and they're talking about books and they're kind of poking fun at someone who's buying something a little more mainstream but doesn't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. So they're having this little cute back and forth and it's all cutesy, cutesy, fun, innocent. But he's just making all these keen observations as he goes along and he's calculating what she says and then he's calculating his response and seeing mm-hmm. how that's gauged. And he's like, oh, she liked that. And like he's he's observing and computing things 
while having a conversation. So this is another question that I have. When she pays for the book, he says, you have enough cash in your wallet. He's thinking this. But you gave me your credit card to pay for it because you want me to know your name. Is this another one of those things? See, I think this one here, because I have done something like this before. That was not the smartest thing. I have given my card before I was married or engaged, Carl. (laughs) Or with you, Carl. I have done something like that where it's like, I want them to know my name. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's fine. Because I think we as humans don't assume that somebody's going to take our name and maybe we don't mind if they look at us on social media, but he took it, as we'll find out, to the next level. Um, so well, I think there's nothing wrong with, like, wanting someone to know your name. And when I did it, social media didn't really exist. Sure. We had MySpace, but even not everyone was on that. Um, but, yeah, thinking back, that was not a smart thing to do. And I'm not saying that's what Beck did, but this one I could see, this I could see being like, oh, I had this really cute little conversation with this guy. He seems really nice. Yeah. He likes all the same books that I like. You know, let me just be a little, like, like hintity hint hint. Absolutely. But then it's like, why not give you give him her number? I've never done anything like that before, so it just boggles my mind that somebody would do that. And I don't, well, I was just thinking that I even think about the fact that somebody could look at my card and see my name. And of course, I mean, me saying this is I've been married for a long time, been in a relationship for like a million years. But I mean, like, even back in the day, I hadn't thought about the fact that somebody could look at my name. It's a good trick. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And it works. It, it, it worked for me. And, you know, it's it's cute to kind of start the conversation. But thinking back now, it's like I just wanted a cute little flirty conversation, but that could have really not ended well. But that's what happens when you're 18 and stupid. So, of course, in a lot of places now, like where I work, we're legally not allowed to touch somebody's credit card. Mm. So even to like manually type in a number, if they have a problem with the chip or the swipe code, we can't do that. So, uh you're out of luck if you try that at my bookstore. I think this also shows, though, that Beck is kind of adept too socially because she's picked up on what's happening. So she's throwing out this little thing. Yeah. So I think it shows that she's able to pick up on these things as well, which a lot of times people that are very socially conscious and that keep up with appearances and keep up with the right people and, and know how to do that, which is not me. Me neither. They, they'll they'll know when the right time to do that is, where I'm just like, hi, oh, my name's Lacey, and I'm super <laughs> awkward. Which also plays into the fact that when he does start looking her up, he finds that all of her accounts are set to public, which, of course, the paranoid person inside of me is like, why would anybody have their account set to public? Like, Beck doesn't deserve anything that's coming to her, but I do find Beck very annoying, <laughs> because the Bechdel test... That's her Instagram handle, is the Bechdel test. Oh, is it? Yes. I picked up on that immediately because I like social media a lot, and I like a, I like a punny Instagram handle. Mine's punny. It's Leading Lacey at Instagram if you want to follow me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just it was the Bechdel test and just everything. Is, and then, like, the cheesy inspirational quote that ends with talking about macaroni and cheese. I'm just like, okay, this is what we all did when we were still discovering social media mm-hmm. and trying to be cute and trying to get little likes and things like that. But that is literally what she is about. Having read the book and then watched the show, I can say that I, I liked Beck a lot more when I watched the show. And I think we talked about this in the book. We are only ever seeing anything from Joe's eyes um, fully and completely. Um, and the show allows us some time with these characters. And I, I liked Beck more in the show. I mean, she's 
flawed. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting thing to feel differently from reading the book where I felt so sorry for her, but I was mostly just terrified of Joe when I read the book. <laughs> yeah. I felt, I feel really sorry for her, especially what happens in later episodes. I feel very sorry for her because I think she's a person that really, really cares how she's perceived. Yes. And that plays a huge part into everything that she does. And yes. that has to be a very isolating, lonely life as it is. Definitely. It doesn't mean she deserves anything mm -mm. that's coming to her. Even if she is a manipulator, even if she is superficial, right. she doesn't deserve to be stalked and to be dehumanized. Never. Yeah. So Ooh. it's like, I can sit here and poke fun at her. Right. At, you know, at her little things that she does that we all do. We're all, you know, we all do silly things on social media, but it's not a reason to treat anyone less or Absolutely. to diminish someone. I, I do think it's really funny that it's the Bechtel test. The Bechtel test. And it annoyed me, but now I'm like, is that cute? I don't I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm feeling bad for no, judging no, her. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I think it's like, it just makes me laugh because it is very ironic. I don't know. Sure. No, it's, it's punny. It's, it's punny as hell. So we're going to step back for just a second because I want to mention the other guy who works at the bookstore, Ethan. Oh, Ethan. Snaps for Ethan. Yes. Who loves to be in the cooking section. For work, he promises not for personal use. See, that's who I date. Can I just say, yeah, I love Ethan. I love I love him so much in the show. Um, he doesn't get as much of a part in the book, but in the show, man, mwah, love him. He's perfect, yeah. I would totally date him. Uh, yeah, his character, the guy who plays him, is just wonderful. I really so like sweet. him. So sweet. In the book, yeah, it's mostly, at least up to the point where I am, which is, I think it's about halfway through, it's this high school kid mm -hmm. who you just kind of want to punch in the face. Yes, and then in, in the book, um, Ethan comes in about halfway through, and so we do still get to see Ethan, um, and he's similar, but he's not exactly the same as the Ethan we see in the show, but I love the Ethan in the show. Yeah. And so another change from the book is this next storyline that we're going to talk about. Real quick, before we move on, though, I wanted to mention something that Beck and Joe talk about. They talk about an author who's Courtney Cox's grandmother that gets brought up a couple times. But in the pilot episode, there are several tie-ins to Nirvana. Because mm. if you'll notice, the storefronts mm -hmm. next to the bookshop, there's a sh there is a store called Nirvana. And there was something else that, oh yeah, and then Beck can be seen wearing a Nirvana t-shirt. And they talked about Courtney Cox's grandmother. So mm -hmm. I just thought that was kind of a fun little thing. So I think there might be a Nirvana fan working on that show somewhere because they, they wanted to tie that in. Nice. I wonder if the author was a Nirvana fan and so they did that because of her. She does have him in a Nirvana shirt in the book. Um, he had, Joe has a Nirvana sleep shirt. So maybe, yeah, maybe she's a fan. Maybe. When Joe gets home from work that day, sitting on the steps in his, how would you describe his apartment? It's a typical New York walk-up, I would say, mm -hmm. and he's on a, the base of the stairs that lead up to the next floor, and Joe walks by. Is sitting his neighbor's son, Paco, and you can hear behind him from Paco's apartment is just this fight. It even sounds like they're throwing things, like, you know... It is not a place you want to be right now. And Paco's reading a book, and Joe says, wow, you're really going through that fast, and he's reading The Three Musketeers. Mm -hmm. Joe gives Paco his meatball sub because he realizes that Paco probably hasn't anything to eat. Paco's just this really sweet kid. I, the actor who plays him, mm -hmm. it is he is so good. Yeah. Very, very good. 
But um, this was something, and I love the character of Paco. I love the addition of that storyline. But also, how far do showrunners and writers have to go to make us like a cis white male who is a stalker? Because they have to humanize him how somehow. Yes, and you know, that's something that I know is a little bit controversial. Um, some people were um, not happy about the fact that they added this element that does humanize Joe a whole lot more, like naturally. Yeah, I struggled with it. In the book, there is no Paco. And again, in the book, my feelings for Joe, most of the time I was very much like, he is terrifying. And again, this was another part of the show that made me like, oh my gosh, wow, we're getting to see this other side of Joe. So yeah, I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. It is it is something to ponder because it it is... Yeah. Not necessarily a good thing. Well, and I'm okay with it with the character because I can still make my... You can still look at the character and go, okay, he, he gave someone a sub. That doesn't mean he's Jesus all of a sudden. Yes. Like, I can I can make that distinction. I don't know about other people because already you have someone from Gossip Girl who's very disarming. And now we're adding another level of humanization to mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. But yet it's almost making allowances in a way... In certain people's head, I'm not sure this is what was in the show. I don't, I'm sure this wasn't a showrunner intention, mm-hmm. but it does kind of make allowances for him a little bit. Sure. While I like the multidimensional, it's showing that even a bad person is capable of doing good things. I appreciate that well-roundedness. Mm-hmm. It does present a little bit of an issue with me because it's just another way to kind of allow this white man to do the things that he's doing because, oh, well, he's nice to a kid. Sure. Yeah, I think that's such a great point to bring up. So we see his first full day stalking Beck. It's a full itinerary. <laughs> they they have a booked calendar. Well, she must be exhausted. This girl needs, first of all, someone to help her. Yeah. She needs a life coach. I'm not just saying that because I'm in, I'm studying to be one. But she needs time management. Yeah. Because she focuses her priorities are in all the wrong places. Mm-hmm. We just need to go in there and just kind of spin it all around. But he follows her to school where she is a graduate student. She writes poetry and he sees her with her professor. This is another really creepy thing about this show and another portrayal of of how men can be. And I just want to say real quick because this is going this episode has a lot of things where we talk about the way men are. We don't hate men at all. Okay, I don't think that we have to say that because okay. I think most people listening to this show, I would hope, no, it, it's we're not talking about all men. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about the toxic men that make this shit that we have to bring up. So I understand what you're saying, but I also don't think you have to make apologies to anybody. Thank you. So, all right. So I affirm you. This is one of those professors who, you know, are the... <laughs> The cliche professors of hitting on their female students. And let me say something here, too. Sorry to interrupt. But I think not only is this a storyline that we see constantly with women characters having to face, I think actually him following back and seeing this day, it shows everybody, it shows men in particular, what women face in the same line of work. So it's like a male TA's interaction with a professor is completely different than how it would be with a female TA with a male professor because this is something that happens and I think it also is kind of a, a look or a spotlight into things that women have to deal with that men would never even think about a man would never even think about getting stalked at a bookstore by a, a clerk of ever getting hit on by a professor a male professor mostly 
and this is just an average day in Beck's life. So yeah, it's it is a really a, a glimpse into how yeah, it, yeah how what it's like to be a woman. How exhausting <laughs> it can be. Exhausting to to deal with that constant bombardment of mm-hmm. just having to arm yourself against this stuff. To mm-hmm. worry about your safety. To worry about oh, is he gonna say I was coming off in a certain way, mm-hmm. and am I gonna get in trouble for this? So I think this is a great glimpse for men to kind of get a glimpse of what women can experience constantly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's an addition also that wasn't in the book. Um, Beck did not have a professor in the book um, that we see come onto her in this way, but I, I like this addition to the storyline in the TV show because we do see that. And a little later on, which I won't go into detail, we see more of that as well. And it's a really nice moment for Beck later on. We also see the difference in classes here as well, because Beck has a lot of rich friends, mm-hmm. and Beck is not rich. Mm-hmm. She carries herself, or she acts the same way that the her rich friends do. She never makes comment on it. She never makes comment on the class difference or the 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 money difference. That her friends are very privileged, and she's very privileged, but not as privileged as them. Right. Yes, she is privileged because she is working on her master's degree when, you know, there's a lot of people who don't even get the chance to go to college. And it's like she's in subsidized housing, but that apartment is huge. It's gorgeous. It's massive. So she is doing very well. I would say I would even venture to say she's doing well, better than an average American Mm -hmm. or an average student, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, she still can't live up to what her wealthy friends want of her. It's a constant struggle to keep up with them. Mm-hmm. We meet her friends. We have Annika, Lynn. Lynn, and Peach. Peach, who is played by Shay Mitchell, and she is gorgeous. She gorgeous. is. In the book, Peach is described a lot different. We see her through Joe's perspective, mm-hmm. and by the time we actually meet her, he has already decided that he doesn't like her. So I feel like these feelings color the way that she is described to us because she's described as being very tall with frizzy hair Mm. and, you know, not feminine or Mm. pretty or anything like how she's portrayed in the TV show. But I think that's an interesting, that's so interesting that the book describes her that way. But then when it's, when it's not just Joe's perspective. We see her from who she maybe actually is. Maybe that's how Peach was intended. But because Joe's an asshole and mm-hmm. intimidated by her and intimidated by a strong woman, he views her in all of these negative ways. So mm-hmm. even if she was the most beautiful woman in the world, which Shay Mitchell is one of them, it wouldn't matter because he is intimidated by her. Yes. And in you're right. In the book, Peach isn't, we don't even like see physically Peach until much farther along. She's not the same or a part of her initial friend group in the same way. Like, she's just not with them a lot. He just finds out about her. I won't jump, but he finds out about her from his stalking. Yeah, in this episode, we see all three of her friends when she goes to read her poetry to open mic night, but in the book, it's just the two friends. Peach Mm -hmm. is not there. Right. And we do see them before at Annika's birthday party. And I jumped ahead a little bit. Because we see him stalking her at her apartment, where we see that she doesn't have any curtains up, and there's just all these windows that face out to the street, so everybody can see everything she does. She walks around in a towel. In the book, she walks around naked. Can I say, I have a strong thought on this. There is so much victim blaming that goes on with this part of it. I saw so much stuff on Twitter where people were like, 
everything could have been avoided if Beck had curtains. Why didn't she have curtains? It's all Beck's fault because she didn't have curtains. I was like, I have never seen so much victim blaming about curtains in my life. And it just goes to show you how easy it can be to, to... the victim yeah it's like why is a woman walking around naked more offensive than someone stalking that woman exactly well and i feel like curtains wouldn't deter joe it would just make him work a little bit harder hell no he just get a drone that could just be like and it would just like go and part the curtains somehow (laughs) he'd learn how to jimmy locks with a with a drone just like i wouldn't put it past him (laughs) yeah because that's the thing where there's a will there's a way so mm-hmm. even if she had have had curtains, Joe would have figured out another way to look at her. Oh, yeah. That might be an interesting symbol there. And I don't know that this was intended, but this is just dawning on me. That when you when someone does have ill intentions for you or someone is fixated on something, you really, there is no way to hide. So it wouldn't matter if she did have curtains. So maybe, I don't know if that was a choice. Sure. Just to like make, to make her feel more exposed or to make her feel more vulnerable. Yeah. Maybe not the right word, but to me, it just represents that there is nowhere to hide. When you're a woman, there is no way to hide, where to hide because you are a woman. If someone's gonna decide to do something bad to you, you really don't Absolutely. have a choice. I mean, it goes, choice. it goes along the same lines of like, oh, but she if she hadn't had that extra drink, then maybe this wouldn't have happened to her. If she hadn't worn that outfit, maybe she wouldn't have been attacked. Like, I mean, it, it's not the, exactly the same, but it has the, it can go into that same way. Like, if she had just had curtains, he never would have done that. Yeah, and I saw, like I said, I saw so much of that on social media, and it really baffled me. Well, That's baffling. I feel like, too, going on what you said, when there's so many times that our homes and our lives are invaded, like you said, there's there's nothing there. The, this false idea that we have that we're safe because of this thing or that thing, mm-hmm. they've removed that by not having any curtains. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like this, this will prevent that from happening. But in actuality, safeguards don't prevent something from happening. If someone's going to decide to do something bad mm-hmm. or do something harmful, they're going to do it whether those safeguards are there or not. That just happened to me. Yeah, that was yeah. really crazy. That just... That all came out. I feel yes. like there's a lot of symbolism oh, and a lot yeah. of things that are really, really deep in this. Yes, that... you can unpack for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but we get to meet Benji. 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 Benji, Benji, Benji. Benji, <laughs> and I've told y'all there's going to be language in this. Benji and his stupid fucking hat. That fucking Fuck hat. that hat. Fuck Benji, man. <laughs> He looks, I have seen Benji. I literally saw Benji at the domain today. I know, right? I've, I saw five Benjis. We've all met Benji. <laughs> I saw I saw female Benjis. Like, they're everywhere. They're just, just looking at him. And, and I shouldn't judge someone for how they look. But I'm judging him for how he looks. Well, and Joe judges him, too, because in the book, he's always talking about how Benji has too much hair. Mm-hmm. His hair is a big fixation for Joe. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if the author wrote that playing into the fact that so many men are insecure about their hair because they think they're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. Because so many times, not only halfway through the book, he has talked about Benji's hair. Mm-hmm. And he mentions it at least three times in the pilot. I will say the actor that played Benji in the in the TV show has great hair. Yeah, he oh, does. Yes. It's like beautiful, natural blonde hair, and it's got like this natural volume, and it's kind of like, it's like wispy almost. It it, it's got a lot of movement. So, I, I mean, kudos on the hair. Yes. 
Henry was great. Not to I repeat myself, which I am, but just the casting in general for the show was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. When I read a book and then see a movie or watch a show, I'm always really like nervous and anxious about the cast, and they just did a magnificent job all around. Mwah! <laughs> Magnifique. Yeah, I totally agree. The casting is really great. I do wonder why there isn't more of a reflection of how the world really is. Because I do see actors of color, but I feel like there could be more. I think Beck and Joe and Benji work well as white actors. I mean, I feel like definitely Joe being a white male. I mean, to begin, I mean, so many serial killers um, are, st- are white men. And statistically, white men do a lot of horrible things, not just serial killers but I mean domestic terrorism we won't get into all of that but they're just I feel like him being a white male makes a lot of sense for that reason Mm -hmm. Um, no I absolutely agree and I think again just to build on what you're saying I think it goes back to societal bias mm -hmm. we don't view necessarily a white man as dangerous when we absolutely should because like you said most of the serial killers are white men if you look at mass shootings the Mm -hmm. number one perpetrators are white men So I think it makes sense to cast him in that role because we have been taught and conditioned not to look at a white person or a white man as dangerous when they're the main perpetrators of violence in America. And especially a well-read white man who works in a bookstore would be considered like one of the least threatening people. Like, oh, he's harmless. I even think they talk about him being harmless at some point. I feel like that gets brought up or like, he's such a nice guy, but he's such a nice guy. And even in the way Penn Badgley plays him, it's, oh, we, you, as an audience watching or as a viewer watching, like, oh, he's such a nice guy. But it's like, would you be saying this if this actor wasn't white? Yeah. Which makes you really think about it. And back to Benji. Sure. Oh yeah. Let's get back to Benji. (laughs) So Benji shows up at Beck's place and she is not at all pleased to see him. Because apparently he let somebody give him a blowjob in the bathroom because the girl said that she had good Coke and he had been really stressed. About his artisanal soda company. Yeah, about his artisanal soda company because he thought that it was just going to be trying new flavors, but he had to learn all about how the soda was actually made. And I mean, at this point, if you're not feeling sorry for poor Benji and the real his victim, life, the real victim of the story, then I just don't know how your hard heart ever <laughs> feels anything. I don't know how you sleep at night. <laughs> no, this this scene has one of my favorite lines is when he's describing all of these things he's having to do. And that goes and he makes a comment about he, and somehow he ties his indiscretion to cancer. And she goes, you literally was it or you literally connected your illicit blowjob to cancer and it's just like bravo dude because you <laughs> spin that you should be a publicist he said that he's trying to make this soda that doesn't have all the shit in it that other sodas do that gives people cancer and he was so stressed about making this soda that he had to go have the good coke which led to him getting a blowjob yeah so <laughs> on so, accident because Benji. Wow. See, this is a guy that goes into politics in 10 years. Guarantee. That's the scariest and most accurate thing ever. Yeah. This guy will be in politics. <laughs> and this is Brett whatever the fuck his name is. What was his name? I already forgot it. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Kavanaugh. Yeah. Go into that. Yeah. A whole hour rant. <laughs> so after they've had this discussion about his indiscretion, he very easily gets Beck to take all her clothes off and they do it right there in front of the open windows. 
yeah, yeah, thanks. I don't, I'm not going to judge her because you can do what you want, girl. Absolutely. But this guy. I know, it, it does, it made me sad because I feel like it just shows that Beck has a lot of insecurities and there's mm-hmm. a lot that she doesn't love about herself. And so someone that gives her the attention she wants, mm-hmm. she wants to believe that it's real. Yes. So she allows whatever to happen. And that's the, it's one of the times, the rare times that I find myself agreeing with Joe. It's like, you do have terrible taste in men. I know. And him saying that was the most like hilarious and ironic thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, as you're sitting outside, like jacking it at a bush. You're telling her what a terrible taste she has in men. You know what? I agree. Because as we go on in this series, I think that rings very true. It does. And there are times when you're in the book and you watch the show that you're like agreeing with Joe. And at the same time, he's doing something super awful. But you're agreeing with like a thought he has, like a a comment on a character. Right. And you're like, shit, I don't want to agree with you. I agree with that one thing, but not all of the other things that you were doing. Yeah, it's like, I agree with that statement, but you need to stop jacking it in a bush outside this girl's apartment and go home. Yes. Stop that jacking. You need to go see a therapist, work through your issues, sweet cheeks. Yes. And not project it onto someone else. How does he have time to run the bookstore if he's following Beck around all day? Well, thank God he has Ethan. But Ethan can't work there all day. Ethan may. Like, how does this bookstore make money? Because there's never very many people in it is it just they sell one rare book for, like, $20,000 and that's how they stay afloat for a month? Well, if you think about it, not to get too far down this rabbit hole, but if you think about it, like, a small bookstore like that might really have very limited hours. Like, we close at 5 p.m. And then he shuts down the shop and goes to his stocking. Um, and then they open at 9 a.m. So before that, like, 6 a.m., stock, 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 open the bookstore. Back to stocking. <laughs> Back to stocking. Gotta go for my go week, for my nightly stocking. Yeah, you know. Oh, my God. I need to work at this bookstore no, but that it, has a stalker schedule. But if you, but <laughs> if you look at the... The interior of the bookshop it's very old and like there's a lot of really well crafted wooden pieces and there's a lot of older style books so it's safe to say in new york this is not just a bookstore i think they carry specialized books so i think the average book there is probably not going to be something that you'd buy at barnes and nobles good point it's probably going to be expensive and i digress um no you did not oh can i can, can i just ask a question because i really want to know if if Benji's just an ignorant fuck or if cumin is really used in Indian cooking. Cause he goes, oh, we're going to, we're going to be taste testing sodas. We're doing cumin. I know how much you love Indian food. Is cumin used in Indian food? Cause I associate that with Mexican food. Me too. I'm pretty sure that it is trying to think back onto things that I've cooked. I have Not a word from you. I haven't. Okay. Calm down. But I haven't cooked a lot of Indian food. So that's yeah. the thing. I don't know. So let me, let me just ask Siri. That's a great question. I, I also, cook mostly Mexican food, um, haven't cooked a lot of Indian food. So I would not be able to say definitely. Is cumin... <laughs> so after a quick Google search, I realized that I am the ignorant fuck, and Benji is not. Cumin is used in Indian cooking. I was just thinking, I I would have thought that would have been a perfect place to show what an asshole he is. Or... <laughs> but prove me wrong. Well, why would you make a cumin soda anyway? I feel like that does show that he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> There's a plenty of stuff that shows he's an asshole. So. Yeah. Just it's like bad people can do something good, stupid people can say something that's true or smart. Oh, God. That needs to be on a pillow in my house. Mm-hmm. Well, Benji shows just what a great person he is again by telling Beck, oh, um, right after they've done it, that 
the little extra weight that she's put on looks good on her. Hey, 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 he's just being body positive. <laughs> it's it's her reaction that makes it, like, heartbreaking. She's just like, Because <laughs> it's clear that that's something that, that comment hurts her. Like, and it makes me think that he knows that that comment will land a certain way. Um, and well, maybe no. he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't. No, he's completely, I, I think he's completely oblivious to what he's saying. That's I true. Think I'm he's, giving him too much credit. Well, I think he's probably thinking of himself as this progressive person. And he's like, you know what? Actually, those 20 pounds look great on you. You know what? Don't change it. Yeah, you have dimples on your ass, but that's fine. I, I don't think that's disgusting at all. I can just close my eyes, you know? I think that's the kind of person he is. So I think it really does bother him, but he will go the extra mile to say something nasty or say something hurtful in the hopes of being progressive. And then when he's called on it, he's like, well, what's your fucking problem, bitch? I was just trying to like give you a compliment and you're fat and shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You might need to edit that out a little bit, but no, no, it's, it's but very true. I feel like yeah. that's what it would be. I feel like he says something hurtful because he's completely ignorant on what he's talking about. And then if she were to turn around and be like, dude, what the fuck? He would spin it to where she's apologizing to him. And I think that actually happens in something where I think that actually happens in the scene where they're talking about him getting a blowjob. She ends up apologizing to him. Yeah. Which is like, why? WTF. Yes. And so, of course, find out that Benji isn't the great lover that he thinks that he is. And Beck did not get her satisfaction. So she grabs her green pillow, which is talked about a lot her in hand, the book. handy dandy green pillow. Man, in the book, it is, he, Joe brings it up constantly. Oh. <laughs> he loves that green pillow. As too, she does. Too much. And she, As she does. Yeah, <laughs> she does. And she takes care of business. And Joe. You know what? Go, girl. Yeah. Get it. I mean, yeah. Also, don't fuck dudes that don't satisfy you sexually, but also get yours. Get yours. That's totally fine. Of course, Joe is watching her, and there's this scene where he's imagining himself standing there. I'm so sorry, dear listener. This is when he's jacking it in a bush or on a stairwell (laughs) as an old lady's walking out of the door. But he has this this um, fantasy. fantasy where mm-hmm. he's standing there at the end of the couch watching, watching her, and his face is so creepy. It literally made me shudder. Well, yeah, yeah, yes. It's Look. one of the. It's a really good moment for him as an actor because that was one of the first moments where I was like, oh, because yeah. <laughs> it's like he's not looking at a woman; he's looking at an object. Yes. Yes. And it just. Well, because I think this kind of, because, okay, so, yeah, he's jacking it on a stairwell, old lady walks out, he stops, which is nice of him, and helps her get a cab. So, you know, he has good moments, guys. Joe's just a nice guy that he's just a wants nice the best. Guy. He's, he's just misunderstood. Oh, my God, that voice is everything. <laughs> he, just, he just wants Beth to, like, live her most, like, her, her most, like, essential life. He just has a lot of feelings. He has so many feelings. So many feelings. So many. <laughs> that he didn't get to finish expressing because the old lady came out. Retching <laughs> 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 for two minutes on mic is, will be this podcast. <laughs> and moving on. After his little adventure, he goes home and once again, Paco is sitting on the steps and he's finished the book. And this time, instead of fighting behind him, there are other sounds coming from the apartment. And Joe says, boy, everybody's getting some except for me. Bow, chicka, bow, wow. (laughs) And Paco says, 
can we go get another book? I feel so bad for Paco. He's Paco. so sweet. You poor little thing. Why is Joe your mentor? Yeah. <laughs> and Joe takes him to the bookstore to get him another book and shows him the cage. The cage is the rare books room in the basement, which is actually a really cool place. Mm-hmm. Until it's later. A, well, it just, because it looks so cool when you first see it, but then you can immediately see how this can turn real sinister real fast because it is a clear plexiglass. It's some kind of specialized glass room in the middle of a basement that Mm -hmm. has shelves and shelves of these rare books and this really creepy blue lighting. And it looks like something out of a horror movie. And it's completely soundproof, which is ominous, ominous in and of itself because like, why is it soundproof? Why is it? <laughs> why do we be? need? Why do books need soundproofing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're a musician, anybody who has a soundproof room, you automatically assume it's your murder room. Yeah. It. It. Yeah. It's a, it's a murder room. It looks just like a murder room with books. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a really telling scene because we get to kind of get a little bit of Joe's backstory. Mm-hmm. Because he's telling Paco all about the books and about what temperature the books are kept at and what humidity level the books are kept at. All of these things that have to be considered when caring for books. And while he's telling Paco about this, it's cutting back to him as a child or as a teenager being told this by Mr. Mooney, who is his mentor, who owns the bookshop. And so you literally hear it from Mr. Mooney and then you see it coming out of Joe's mouth. So you can tell that this has been drilled into him for years. And Joe tells him that the most valuable things in life are usually the most helpless. And this is what really caused a, something to go off in my brain because it really solidified for me that Joe sees Beck like he sees the books. There, It's a helpless thing that needs someone to take care of it. But the thing here and what's so sick is that a book is not a person. Right. But that's how he's viewing Beck. Mm-hmm. So he's completely objectifying her. It is dehumanizing because basically it's going, you don't know how to take care of yourself. So I'm going to do it for you because you don't know any better. Yes. And I'm your protector. I'm doing you a favor by by doing these things. You should be thanking me. Mm-hmm. I'm making your life easier. Mm-hmm. He also is telling Paco about chivalry. And he says that it is treating people with respect, especially women like men should. It's so confusing. Because, mm-hmm. again, it's like, why would you give this character that line? Does he say that in the book at all? Um, he, he believes himself to be very romantic and very, like, sensitive. I'm sorry. He believes himself to be very romantic and sensitive in the book. Um, he believes that everything that he's doing is for love. Like, he talks about that all the time, which makes it all the more terrifying. <laughs> well, yeah. I do find an issue with this, though. And maybe if I could sit down and talk with the creator, she could be like, girl, you are dumb. Or she could tell me differently. I feel like giving a character like Joe this line is so irresponsible. Because, again, it's humanizing him. It's making us be on his side. Because it's like, well, you know, he shouldn't be doing that. But he really has good intentions. He really does want the best for her. And it's like we're sitting here and I think we've seen we've seen through that. Like we, we can read into his actions and what they really mean and go beyond just what he's saying and realize that it's bullshit. But I think your average viewer might not look into it that deeply and add this to why they romanticize Joe or humanize him. 
So I do think it's a little irresponsible for him to have that line. But then I could be proven wrong. Someone could come in with a different perspective and be able to tell me why it's good that he said that. I think to me, what what I found so interesting, and I, I felt this particularly when I watched the show. Again, when I read the book, I was just really scared. And it was so clear how psychotic Joe was that I, you know, mostly was just terrified for his victims, like terrified of what he was going to do next which made the book very enthralling to read. When I watched the show, I felt like these moments where we see him think things like, I'm a nice guy, I'm a feminist, like, I I believe women should be treated well, um, mixed with the things that he's actually doing was like a big commentary to me on how it's like a different type of toxic masculinity. Um, it's not the type that we're used to seeing. It's this like, I'm, I'm sensitive, I'm nice, and so I deserve a hot, attractive woman. I deserve these things. Um, and when I don't get them, my bad behavior should be excused because I'm nice, because I deserve this. So, but you're right. I don't know that every viewer is going to get that, but that's totally what, what I was taking away no, from it. No, I love that you're saying that, jumping onto that. I think that that build, that, that represents a very large portion of, of men that would consider themselves progressive. Mm-hmm. Because I interact with these men because I work in an organization that prides itself on being progressive and social justice. And there are, I won't say a lot, but there are a few that the words coming out are nice and they're like, oh yes, 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 we need to make sure everything's equal for everybody. But their actions, how they say it, Mm -hmm. makes you think, you know what? I don't really think you believe this. I think you're saying this and no one thinks you're a dick or no one accuses you of being sexist, but I don't think you really believe what you're saying. Yes. Or rationalizing bad behavior because I'm a nice person. I, I did this because I love this person. I, I did this because I have all these feelings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. Cause I've, I've had conversations with men that work that I work with or that I just know socially and they'll make excuses for things that are inexcusable. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, there's no excuse for sexual harassment. Never. There's no excuse for sexual assault. Never. There's no excuse for diminishing people within history and there and or diminishing people in stories that should that should be the forefront. But yet they're sitting here making these arguments, but at the same time they're going, I know, I know, I know, there's no there's no excuse for it. But what about this? Don't sell me that. <laughs> Don't try to sell me on you're this progressive guy. You're mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Well, that leads me to the next scene that I wanted to talk about and a question that I have for you guys. So we finally get to meet Ron, the guy that is dating Paco's mom. Ron. Ron. They come home from the bookstore and Ron tells Joe, stay away from him. I'm a parole officer. I know people like you. You're sick. Joe says something along the lines of, like, you're calling me sick, you stupid piece of shit. And my question is, are Ron and Joe that different? I think it goes back to what you said earlier. It's like dumb people are capable of saying smart things. Mm-hmm. Or bad people are capable of good things. It's like, Ron's a shithead. He is, yeah. Yeah, he's a shithead. And so he does terrible things mm-hmm. and acts inexcusably. That still doesn't mean that he can't make an observation about someone and be right. Especially if he's in a pro officer. I mean, he really... I have a feeling he is astute in a lot of ways and, and could see in Joe something very sinister and doesn't mean that he is not himself is not a sinister, scary, abusive man. <laughs> also, people that have those traits can pick people out with those traits, too. Very good point. And we just keep moving right along with the great men in this show. Beck so has, many lovely men. Beck has a meeting with her professor 
to talk about the fact that she hasn't turned in all the pages that she needs to because she's working really hard. I also think she's playing really hard. Going back a little bit, because when Joe's stalking her that first day, he's making a comment about how this guy obviously wants to fuck you and you're letting him believe that it'll happen. And I didn't get any of that. I'm like, she is walking, dude. Yeah. And again, I think that that to me, moments like that where we hear Joe thinking, you're not wearing a bra because you want me to see it. You're talking to this man, so you're letting him think that you want to fuck him. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. it's ludicrous. Um, but it's scary because I do think that there is a lot of that type of thought process. Yes. In many men. Obviously not all. Many men. Sure. I, we've all, we, I think every person in this room mm-hmm. or in this podcast has probably haven't had an experience of where a man has told you, oh, you're doing that to get attention. Yes. Or you're doing this because you want this. Yes. It's like, don't tell me why I'm doing it anything mm-hmm. or i will walk you like a dog yes. or no, no. or i will dog walk you yes. cardi b style yes, please. and Ask so <laughs> she's telling him about how she's working really hard and she didn't have time to write all her pages but she'll get them to him by the end of the week and he tells her that they need to talk about poetry over a glass of wine and he knows this great gastro pub And I think most of us know where this is going. Well, and you can see it on her face. She knows where it's going, too. She's scared. And so she's like, well, what would your wife think about this? And he's like, oh, well, she knows that I always like to help out my students. And she's very used to this. But you can tell she does not want to accept. She doesn't want to do this, but she knows she has no choice. It's in her body language. It's in her facial expression. Um, But, of course, he does not care about any of that um or i said i shouldn't say that she knows she has no choice she believes she has no choice right yeah because she doesn't want to lose her teaching assistant position because then she'll lose her money which then she'll lose her apartment so the only way to keep that is to placate this very creepy professor by going to dinner with him which i think a lot of women have probably been placed in a situation maybe not that exact one but in a situation where you felt like you had to kind of appease a dude to get out of something or to be safe Yeah, to be safe, too. Yeah. When she comes home, she's talking to someone on the phone and saying that she can't report him. Because that's not how it works. That's not how the world works. Mm -hmm. So you can tell this was filmed before the Me Too movement. Right. And I mean, but I do think even post-Me Too, there's still a lot of fear. um, Absolutely. That you won't be believed. um, That you, yourself, will get repercussions if you you tell on someone who's in power. Like, even post-Me Too, I think it's it's still scary. I agree. Completely. There's still, and I'll use celebrities as my example here, there's still celebrities who have gotten accused of things, fired, and then hired by another network. Ugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show, or companies that will just suspend them and then mm-hmm. bring them back because mm-hmm. they're like, well, what if we fire you, somebody else will pick you up and get your ratings. So mm-hmm. Or fire them and let them keep their entire umpteenth million dollar Ugh. paycheck. Ugh. Even though they said something incredibly racist or sexist mm-hmm. or... Mm-hmm. Whatever the case may be, it's easier to give them a big paycheck and quietly sever ties mm-hmm. than actually call someone out on their shitty behavior. Mm-hmm. So there still is this fear because mm-hmm. you, it could happen to you. Yeah. And especially a student coming against a professor. Chances are he's probably a tenured professor. I was say, it seems like he's been there a long time. I mean, we do see the result. Uh, we do see how the storyline plays out and we do see what happens. And it is such a gratifying conclusion. I love oh, it. I was so happy. I was like, yes. Like, there aren't a lot of bright moments in the show, but that was one. I definitely. I agree completely. So you know what? I'm going to take back my comment about this might not this being pre me too i think it it works both ways yeah that wasn't a comment on it not working or working no i just yeah. 
just that comment to me because I think now even though there's still fear I think maybe women are a little bit more prone to think sure hey this isn't right I should say something sure yeah than before so to make up for her really terrible day she decides to go to an open mic night and read her poetry which anybody who's done open mic nights know that they may they're not necessarily the kindest to performers I was gonna stop us real quick did we comment on the fact that Joe's in her shower at the, at the point where she yeah <laughs> yeah because he called in a gas leak to her apartment so he could come in and steal her panties let's get back to Joe being like super effing creepy like let's not ever forget that oh, <laughs> like all along we're seeing all this stuff about Beck because Joe is a hardcore stalker like to the umpteenth degree this is your billionth reminder that Joe is a creepy man <laughs> and he says oh my gosh one of my favorite lines because it's just so ludicrous and in the shower he's like I've seen enough romantic comedies to know that guys like me are always getting into jams like this like he is seeing this. Is He's like, the hero. He's the hero in his romantic comedy. And it's so, it's just so scary. It's sick. It's sick, man. It's so sick. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't but, No, that's no. okay. It took us back. I was... Can we talk about Peach's comment about open mic night? She's like, um, open mic nights are for singer-songwriters and vegans. <laughs> or something to that <laughs> effect. I was like, that's great. Also, that kind of shows how controlling and picky Peach is. Yeah, she's pretty judgmental. Um, she's a, quite a judgmental character. But I do like her a lot because she says what she thinks and she reminds she reminds Beck that Benji is an asshole. She does. She does that in the book. Um, or not, excuse me, in the show, but she does actually not do that in the book. Um, really, we, we don't get much of an introduction to Peach until, I mean, it's pretty far into the book. I don't know about you guys. I immediately, immediately liked Peach. She's very, I mean... The actress does a wonderful job, and she's very confident. She's very like, clear that she cares about Beck. It really is. Like, I, I, I honestly, like, I liked her a lot more in the show than in the book. Yeah, because as the show goes on, we learn more about Peach that can make her a little less likable. Mm-hmm. But, and, and, and I don't think that necessarily she would be branded as a likable character, but I liked her because immediately you could tell she was tough. Mm-hmm. She was strong. She had opinions. And she kind of is, or not kind of, she isn't willing to settle and she doesn't want Beck to settle. Yes. Even though those, those intentions might not be so pure, she, she she is very intent on doing what she wants to do. Right. And encouraging Beck to do exactly what she wants Beck to do. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Honestly, I think the only likable character in the show is Paco. Paco. Ethan. Oh, I like Ethan. Ethan. Okay. I like Annika. Annika, yeah. So, like, that's... she's she's a little, you know, ditzy, but I think she's cute. And hey, you know what? I, I'm going to say this again. I actually like Beck. Um, I feel bad for Beck. Beck has a lot of flaws, but I do. Me, personally, I like Beck. She is... Okay, this is not a comment on likability. She is one of the most beautiful actresses I have ever seen. Oh my gosh, yeah. She's gorgeous. And I... She's not new. She's done stuff. But I looked at her IMDb and I was like, I mean, she, she is fairly new to have gotten like this type of lead. She was on Once Upon a Time. Yeah, she played the- Anna because I remember that because I remembered her face because when I saw the first episode, I knew her from somewhere and I looked back because I remember thinking how beautiful she was because oh. she's beautiful, but it's also she just she looks so young and fresh yes. and full of life. I don't know. Radiant. She just she's just she's gorgeous. I think she brought a lot of depth to Beck too. Yes. Um, and when another actor might not have, like she, she's clearly a very strong actress because she, she brought a lot of levels to a very flawed um, character that could have been more one dimensional. Um, so. Absolutely. And I think that also plays into her beauty too. Is yeah. She's so talented. Yeah. Yeah. 
for sure. You mentioned Annika, and I really like Annika. Me too! I, wrote, I feel like Annika. I wrote, you go, Annika, because she's the only one at this poetry reading that is actually cheering Beth she on. She did! Yeah, she I, wooed, and I was like, yeah, she's on, She is your woo girl yes. to the end. She will woo for you. <laughs> she will woo for you until the bitter end. I love it. Because I think Lynn's on her phone, Peach doesn't want to be there, and he's right. kind of pouting, mm-hmm. and Annika's fully invested. She doesn't know what's going on, but she knows that Beck, it's important to Beck, so she's trying to be supportive, I and I love that. Me too. Beck does have this line that she says that it just, it, it bothered me so much that I had to write it down. She gets up there, and she says, and not to sound like whatever, but I'm a poet. I have heard someone say that. I've heard someone say those exact words somewhere. <laughs> someone who was trying to be cool and didn't want to come off too much was just like, it's, it's like, whatever, but like, you know. Like, like just be you. And I feel like it's hard not to sound pretentious saying I'm a poet. Like, I would have, a, I'm not a poet, but I would have a really hard time saying that, like, just a straight. Oh, yeah. I am a poet. Well, and also, <laughs> as artists and as yeah. women, we are we are conditioned to be apologists for oh my god for what we are. Yes, that is huge. <laughs> and then this terrible guy, in, another toxic man, in the audience goes, oh, "It's so sad. You're no. just so sad. Why don't you say something happier?" Oh, I want oh to punch that dude. That's what I wrote. Shut up, shithead. Yeah, <laughs> I okay. When Fatal Thins podcast merch comes out, just shut up, shithead. <laughs> men saying anything high where it's like has the little lines so it's like you're being interrupted and just fatal thin shut up shithead and i'm guessing i don't know i don't remember why i wrote this but i wrote the last of the true romantics because he says that um joe does because I, I he said that we are the last of the true romantics i wrote that t- down too yes Delusional. i wrote because i was like WTF, Joe? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I wrote, I wrote down to WTF, Joe. It Why? just goes back to show that he really believes that he is in a romantic comedy. He does. Or in, he's he's the hero of his story. story. Yeah. And it's, it's like, and here's another, up, a Joe is creepy update, or another what the fuck Joe update. And I just said bless his heart, but not really, not really bless his heart. No. I take it back. Like Ooh, in the, that's in the South? That's uh, one of the worst things that you can do. Yeah. <laughs> I take back that bless his heart. I am using a very condescending tone when I say it. Bless right. his heart. Yes, absolutely. And I wrote down... Shut up, shithead. Wait. Not you. <laughs> I, no, just I, went, just, <laughs> I just... You were talking and then I said it. But it's so good. No, I'm, done, no. I'm so sorry. Beck is really upset because Benji didn't show up. He sent her a whole row of smiley faces 45 minutes before she was supposed to read her poem and she's super drunk and really sad. And the poem kind of bombs because yeah. she has a heckler. Yeah. Fuck that dude. Fuck so that she leaves and she's pretty drunk. Mm-hmm. And I want to know where, this is the one thing where I'm like, where were your friends? I thought the same thing. Why like, didn't they follow why you? Why didn't they, or, or say, hey, let's get you a cab. Like, yeah. you're really drunk. If my friend was doing an open mic night and it went badly, I would not just sit there as they ran out. I'm thinking maybe... The way I had to rationalize it, because her friends don't seem like the type that would do that, is that she snuck away. Do you know what I mean? Like, they were talking. She was like, I went to the bar, and then she snuck out. I mean, maybe. And then they were texting her, and she's not responding. That, yeah. That's how I had to rationalize it, because they did not seem like the type that would let a very drunk friend of theirs just stumble away without, you know, going with her. Let's get you a cab. But also, they're very rich, and they might not understand problems. Yeah. So she stumbles down into the subway, where Joe 
is, because, of course, he's stalked her there. And he has this line where he says, what if some arrogant dickhead followed you down here? Oh, the irony. And it's like, well, oh, duh, you did. You're That's the you. arrogant dickhead. That's you, Joe. Was that the line? No, no. Oh. This one, it's just, like, ominous. So, but you know what? Let's, I'll let you get a little more into the plot of this scene before I say it. She's drunk texting Benji, trying to find out where he is, and one of my worst nightmares happens. She falls uh, off. It's like, stay behind that yellow line. You stay far away from the train hey, track. She was drunk and upset, and that line moved. It, it did, got closer. Man. And yeah. then, I'm sure she didn't realize how intoxicated she was. Like, she was clearly not in... As someone who has um, misjudged distances whilst intoxicated, mm-hmm. that can happen really easily. <laughs> it can. It, it's easier than you would think. And so Joe literally saves her life by pulling her up before a train runs over her. Okay, so here's the quote from the book that I was just like, oh my gosh, Caroline Kepnes, you're a fantastic writer. He said, you look like that girl in the well in Silence of the Lambs, and you don't need to be afraid because I'm here. Oh! Seen in Times of the Lambs, and I'm like, you're, you're that guy. <laughs> oh my god, you're that guy. You're him. You're him. You don't need to be afraid because I'm here. It just gives me chills. <laughs> Can we also? I it, and we see this throughout the pilot, but when he pulls her off out of the train tracks, mm-hmm. off the train tracks, because it's down low, and he so he mm-hmm. helps her climb out just before the train is going to run her over, or the subway is going to run her, run her over, mm-hmm. and she kind of lands on top of him, and, and it looks like this. Very picturesque, quintessential romantic comedy the music vignette. Smells. And her yeah. hair is flying. Mm-hmm. And it just, and, and again, like every time it happens, it feels gross. Because mm-hmm. it's like they're trying to make it seem like this romantic comedy because mm-hmm. that's how Joe sees it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just has this underlying ickiness that it doesn't matter who you are. I think you can feel it. Yes. You can just feel the ick. I feel like there's such a... That's you see that so often in the show and the book. The thin line, in particularly in the show, the thin line between these like cliche romantic gestures from rom coms and straight up like emotional abuse, like abuse, like all of the terrible things yes. that Joe does. <laughs> and so she literally barfs in his face. <laughs> it is so disgusting. That's the best thing that happens yeah, that Beck gets to do. She does. I think it's hilarious because after they come up out of the train tracks. She says to him, I don't want to sound like a stalker, but I know you from somewhere. Uh, The irony. (laughs) And in the book, she makes a big deal about pretending to not remember where she knows him from. Mm -hmm. And he is very flattered or something by this. Yes. Reads into it that she's, again, flirting or something with him. And he, like, often says things like, you're obsessed with me. He, he says that quite a few times throughout the book, um, which, again, is so... Oh, yeah, because if she makes any mention... <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> One thing that I did want to point out was she has dirt on her face and mm-hmm. looks like she fell into a train track, which I love because in so many shows and so mm-hmm. many things, people do stuff like that or get in these situations and they still look perfect Mm -hmm. and she's this beautiful girl with dirt on her face Mm -hmm. and that's fine right and because of what just happened too i think a lot of times just like you said in shows and movies um especially if it's a a woman character female uh, character yeah there's this need to have them always look good no matter what has happened to them Mm -hmm. you know they get in a terrible fight and there's like a little scratch on their face like a baby little scratch but they still have full makeup and And then they're like don't look at me i'm disgusting (laughs) 
And now, and then it's like, well, this is why I can't leave my house without makeup because I literally look like I fell into a subway when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> For anybody who needs to hear it, dirt does not make you unattractive unless you don't shower. Presence of dirt does not equal worth. There you go. Yes. Another t-shirt of ours. Yeah. <laughs> but she also says, um, when Joe pretends not to remember who she is, I have a pretty bland face. It's like, dang. Well, she's fishing. And I, I hey, girl, I understand that. Cause I Do feel, you? I, 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 especially, like, I feel like I used to fish a lot. I mean, I'm in a relationship now, so I don't think I do it. But and I catch myself making self-deprecating comments. Yes. A lot. I think in Same. this case, um, she, she might, who knows why she's doing it. She might really mean it. She might also wonder if he's going to come back with a, no, you don't. Or um, she doesn't want to come off too pushy or right. too, too aggressive, assertive. And, you know, I, you, Which, back, ew. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, going back to what you mentioned about, it's so true. Like women have been taught to, you know, be apologetic for everything. Also, you know, we've also been taught like, don't be too proud of yourself. Don't like be too proud of your looks. Don't be too proud of this. You know, you need to be modest. And so it could mm-hmm. play into that whole, you know, just being a woman thing. And we've also been taught that it's our job to smooth things over. Mm-hmm. So if it's awkward because, oh, he doesn't remember you, you, you shouldn't be upset at him. You should just smooth it over so he doesn't feel bad, mm-hmm. even though that makes you feel bad. She also says when they're in the cab that I think I'd be happier if I was stupider. I was like, that. honestly, like sometimes I feel that way too. So this is like... why her handle should not be the Bechtel test. Aww. You know what? This is just, this is a big, no, because they go to a therapist. They both go to a therapist and she... that ends horribly. Never mind. They shouldn't go to a therapist. But I, I, I honestly, that line I think is really sad because it says a lot about Beck. Um, and how she views herself. How she views herself, how, like, that she is, clearly she dealing with some type of depression. That's why she goes to see a therapist. And it also is sad because in some ways I'm like, there is some truth to that. Like that it's just a sadness about being a, a human. Well, ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. If you don't know pain exists, you can't feel it. Right. We get back to her apartment and well, they've had this really great conversation in the car. She fell asleep on his shoulder. In any other show, this would be like a romantic comedy. Meet cute? Is that or is that they've already met, so it wouldn't be a meet cute. But this would be the moment where they start like falling in love and it's a turning point it's like the the spark has been lit and you know he's got this grin on his face and they'll have like a cheeky little like i'll see you around maybe Mm -hmm. and she'll Mm -hmm. she'll she'll like and walk through her door and turn around Mm -hmm. and she's unlocking the lock and like i'm thinking way too much into this never mind no no and benji benji is waiting there and she's, with his great hair with his great hair he's not covering it with a stupid hat Benji yeah. with the good hair <laughs> he's, got, he's got great hair um he does. He really does and she says this is Joe he literally saved my life and Benji doesn't bother to go oh babe are you okay he tells her I've told you that people are basically good and then he says good job bro this is his whole concern. Like, Beth, Beck almost died, but he was he's right. That's the most important thing to take away from this. Mm-hmm. And then he's getting really annoyed with her because it's cold out and she's still talking to Joe. Mm-hmm. He's like, but I need to go inside. <laughs> it's cold. Beck gives Joe her email address, which is Beck in real life. Because she lost her phone. And she's like, oh no, it fell on the subway. Oh gosh, that's such terrible luck, Joe says. While he receives her email. (laughs) 
she doesn't passcode her phone. And the reason we know this is because Joe had it the whole time. He did. Surprise, surprise. He pulls it out and he's like, man, you know, Bex, you, you didn't passcode your phone. The you lesson to have... take away from this, passcode your phone. With your thumbprint. But also don't do that because then they can cut your thumb off and then just use your thumb. Or your child waits till you're asleep and unlocks your phone and orders $5,000 worth of stuff on Amazon. Golly. Can I take this, like, way too far and say that the, the moral is, like, don't trust men, like, ever? <laughs> Just kidding. Ever. Sorry, sorry. I mean, <laughs> see, I here's mean, the thing. I mean. But, I mean, like, I'm, like, half kidding. <laughs> but, like, here's the thing. Both of y'all are married, so <laughs> you don't have to worry about this. I constantly worry about yeah. if one day I'm going to find some dude and he's going to kill me. Well, I mean, husbands can do that, too. Right. I mean, Carl knows that I would hunt him down and destroy him in the most painful way possible. Well, he'd probably just kill you, too, to avoid that. That's oh true. I took um, us down a really dark path. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. We're very dark people. <laughs> no, it's um, totally fine. Hashtag men are trash. I'm just kidding. I love... I Can I just say I love my husband? I know we're not supposed to be apologizing for any of the things we say. But, no, but... But I, men are... Men are a problem. But here's the thing. It's like, I love my husband and I trust him implicitly. Mm -hmm. I also trust women. Mm -hmm. Like, I, mm -hmm. there's something there. And I think that's something that we need to get back to. And this was on a Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith. And I've, I've actually referenced this particular Red Table Talk a lot. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times we will vilify a woman before we'll vilify a man. And we'll trust what a man says before we'll trust what a woman says. Yes. Because of what we've been conditioned to believe is acceptable or good or bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or because we say, oh, we're in competition with other or, women. Yeah, or the women right. are just trying to steal our boyfriend or So whatever. it's like if I, if I, you know, support this woman, she's just going to use me so she can get a leg up. Yeah. But it's like we all experience the same things mm -hmm. Mo for the most part. I think there's varying degrees and there's other issues that that women deal with that other women don't. Right. But it's like what what happened? How did we get to this point where we don't trust a woman? Yeah. Where we walk into a room and say there's all men and we it's like make eye contact with a woman and you're like, you know, I've got your back. Mm -hmm. And it's like that's something that I try really hard to do. Anywhere I go, if I see a woman that even if I she looks fine, if I have any inkling, I'm just like, hey, are you okay? It's such a great thing to do. But, well, it's just it's my small part to get women to tr to try and help women trust again because mm -hmm. we need to do that. Yes, I I agree 100. percent You know, I not to take this too far on a tangent, but I will say that before but b before me too, um, there was a hashtag. I don't know if you guys remember. Um, this was probably like four years ago, maybe five. Um, yes, all women, um, mm. hashtag, um, yes. which was to, yes. was to point out that not all men do bad things, but yes, all women experience, experience. bad things from men. Yes. Um, and it was such an eye opening moment in time for me because at that point I had so many of my own experiences, but I hadn't really thought about the fact that every woman has as well, has a story, has a story. And some of them are so horrifying and, you know, some of them are smaller. Um, I'm thankful that mine, you know, were smaller, um, you know, incidents of like, you know, harassment. Um, I, I'm very lucky, but just to see those stories was eye opening and terrifying. And it really kind of was the beginning of me like being really interested in feminism, um, and, and women and, and 
toxic masculinity, which honestly, I didn't even know that term until a couple of years ago, but just oh, yeah. all of those things I became really important to me. No, it's like every woman, it's like, it may vary in degrees on mm-hmm. what happened. Every woman has a story and it's mm-hmm. equally as affecting. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, you may not experience the severity that another woman experiences, but it affects you the same way. Cause the thing is, is it stays with you forever. Yes. You internalize it and it is, it's part of just it's, who you are. It's, it's, it's burned onto your soul. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, it's something that you can't ever, be without Mm -hmm. it will it will live with you forever Mm -hmm. speaking of toxic masculinity (laughs) yes what did benji do now (laughs) no it's joe this time it's joe Joe. who's the toxic man it's joe Joe. (laughs) that'll be his theme song joe he says what you really need is someone to save you oh i wrote that one down too look at us twinsies <laughs> so we you need someone to save you. I wrote it down. He he just <laughs> believes that Beck needs him to save her. He thinks he's he thinks that he has the right to This is pure ego. Oh, oh narcissism at its like most. Intense. Which makes me wonder, is Joe a sociopath or is Joe a psychopath? See, I always say psychopath, but I would love for someone to give me more clarity between psychopath and sociopath because I don't know that uh. I, I'm always, you know, good at uh, differentiating between the two. Let, let's... This is one of Lacey's favorite things. I, I love it. Oh, I love me a sociopath. I bought her a book about sociopaths for Christmas. And Ooh. I'm reading it. How do you think it's <laughs> psychopath? It's called The the Sociopath Next Door. So let's see. Psychopathy versus sociopath. So psychopathy can be thought as a more severe form of sociopathy with more symptoms. Therefore, all psychopaths are sociopaths. But uh-huh. sociopaths are not necessarily psychopaths. Mm-hmm. According to the Society for the Study of Psychopathy, psychopath traits include lack of guilt or remorse, lack of empathy, lack of deep emotional attachments, narcissism, superficial charm, dishonesty, manipulativeness, re- reckless risk-taking. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's there. And then sociopathy must present the follow or the following must present before the age of 15 for diagnosis. It's repeated violations of the law, pervasive lying and deception, physical aggressiveness, reckless disregard for safety of self or others, consistent irresponsibility in work and family environments, and lack of remorse. So I'm not sure there, but he's somewhere in that in that Man, spectrum. I would, I would say psychopath, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, for sure, but just based on, I mean, thinking about like the whole show and the whole book, I would mm-hmm. say... I mean, I guess there are moments where it seems like he does feel like, and in the show, some empathy for Paco. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I mean, aside from that, I just, I, I would, I would go the psychopath. But you could also, because the thing with, with sociopaths mm-hmm. is they're master manipulators. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And while what can look like empathy oh, yeah. might be a manipulation tool because Paco may serve as, as, as a key or as a tool later. So he, yeah. so that sociopaths like to keep people as pawns. It's like, how, how can you benefit me? So if you benefit uh, me, if yeah. I, that means I need, need to be nice to you or I need to care for you in some way, yeah. I'm going to do that so that I can get it back from you. Mm. That doesn't necessarily have to mean that all sociopaths are evil or anything like that. Sure. It, but it's more of a tit for tat kind of thing. It's like, well, what can you do for me if I'm going to do this for you? Is it worth my time? Interesting. Yeah. And while we're talking about Paco, that is our next scene mm-hmm. where Paco meets him outside of the apartment building and Ron has taken his book, the one that Joe lent him from the rare books room, and 
ripped the all of the pages out mm-hmm. in a clump so it can be fixed. Mm-hmm. But he's crying. He said that Ron was saying that he was reading his books and getting ideas and looking at Ron like he was stupid. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea that goes back to people who feel insecure always trying to bring others down to what they feel is their level. And well, they're projecting their insecurity on someone else. Mm-hmm. And by Paco reading these books, he thinks it's him trying to show him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's trying to highlight his intellectual deficiencies mm-hmm. somehow. So Joe tells him that it's okay, it can be fixed. And he takes him to the, the bookstore and he shows him how to repair a book. Oh yeah, this really beautiful montage of him... You know, taking the book cover off and re-adhering the pages and sewing and Mm -hmm. binding the book and all of those things. But underneath this beautiful scene is this really ominous music. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, we see Benji has got an email, right? This happens all at the same time. Yeah, they're like intercutting between the two scenes. So Benji gets an email from this tastemaker at New York Magazine. And he wants to try his artisanal soda. So meet him at this place at this time on this day and we'll we'll have a chat and I'll sample your sodas and maybe this will lead to your big break in artisanal soda. And I just want to point out this. I wrote down pride goeth before a fall. Ah. Because Benji wants to be the face of the soda. And his partner says, when are we going to meet him? And he says, ah, remember, we need to present a united front and I'm the one that needs to. And I'm the front. Yeah, I'm I'm the front. And he's going to go to this meeting alone, Mm -hmm. which as a woman, you wouldn't go to a Mm -hmm. meeting alone with somebody. Well, especially, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I I think you're probably going to say the same thing that I was about to. I was just going to say, Go to a meeting alone is fine in a public place, um, and you have, like, a, a daytime meet at, like, a very public place. Like, I feel like as a woman, we've just sort of been taught that we need to be afraid that, I mean, because men are often our predators. And so, so yeah, I don't think that a, a woman would be, most likely would not be as inclined to meet somebody in a dark alley. <laughs> Which is what he does. <laughs> so Benji's, you know... Footloose and Fancy Free just hop, skipping and jumping all over to his meat. And he has his artisanal soda. Lord knows what the flavors are. He's and, vaping, isn't he? And, 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 I think he might be vaping. That just seems right. Yeah. yeah um, appropriate. And who is he meeting? Who is this tastemaker? Well, friends, it's Joe. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And Joe leads him down this dark alley and says, oh, I know this great little place. It's in the basement of this bookstore. Very exclusive. And then she's like, oh, oh, yeah, I've been here before. Totally bullshitting him. Just like, oh, yeah, totally. This place is great. And so Joe's kind of testing. He's like, well, come on. We're going to go to the the entrance. And he's like, oh, is it? Oh, I didn't really remember this part. And they're literally walking down a dark alley. Oh, my gosh. It's scary. Again. Dark alley. No one's there. Um, And down like some dark stairs into like a basement area <laughs> and again a woman Mm-mm. like she would have seen mm-hmm. the dark alley mm-hmm. and said you know what i feel more comfortable having her meeting out here yeah no i would never i mean i would never have even walked into the alley yeah then you could get cornered and ugh. well and you can tell benji doesn't want to do it he doesn't he's nervous um and but he's putting on this front like right. This big tough guy, like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, he's in the know and knows mm-hmm. knows exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Because of this, if he had brought his business partner with him, none of this would have happened. No. Yeah. 
And so Joe picks up this mallet. And basically, and so it, it, it's revealed that where they're meeting is the basement of the bookstore in the soundproof murder cage. Ah! And this mallet that they made a big deal of showing how he's going to use this to help Paco fix the book. It's the same mallet that he uses to hit Benji in the side of the head. And yeah. he's out. Yeah, there's a big blood gush. I thought he was dead. Yeah, honestly, I, I expected that as well. I really did. And maybe that's what you're supposed to believe at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And then we go back up to the bookstore. And it's the next day. Not like it matters that much, but I'm just remembering that in the book, he, like, drugs him. Like, he doesn't hit him with a mallet. Oh. Yeah, he drugs yeah. him with Valium or mm-hmm. something. In his artisanal soda? Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Using his own artisanal soda? That's, like, I guess, bro code. Right, so he, like, brings him in um, and, like, gives him a drink, and, yeah, he just, he drugs him. Oh, and, yeah. and he talks about how the bookstore is closed, because they don't go down the dark alley in the they book. Don't. They go in the front door, and Benji's pulling on the locked door, mm-hmm. expecting it to open, which, anybody who works retail has been through that, mm. and it made me hate Benji a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. um, so after he drugs him, he then drags him downstairs. Mm-hmm. In the book, yeah. And like I said, I don't, you know, it's just an interesting difference between they made them, um, I don't know, I mean, both of them are terrible, but yeah, one's definitely more violent, the waka with the hammer. This is just a side note. If anyone that um, does promo for you is listening, I think for South By, if anything's happening or any TV festivals, please offer Benji's artisanal soda as a promo like set up a little soda stand and give out weird flavors like cumin and all this stuff oh my god I would love that I would be there like that is the promo that is the thing and have all of them dress like Benji everyone's dressed like Benji yes so the next day Beck shows up with a present for Joe to say thank you for saving my life they had had this conversation in the beginning about Dan Brown Mm -hmm. and that said some very nice things about people who read Dan Brown oh yeah they were totally poking fun yeah I myself have read almost all of Dan Brown's books, so... Um, I haven't, so I, I can't make any sort of, like, judgment at all. He wrote The Da Vinci Code, right? Yes. So she brings him a copy of The Da Vinci Code in Italian, uh-huh. and it's got a note in the front, and he says, oh, we already have inside jokes. Because it's a joke about something about a subway or a train track or something. Engine Engine number nine. She wrote, writes him a little poem. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. The... Because the homeless guy that was in the subway when she fell was singing the mm-hmm. song Engine Engine number nine. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. missed that little In tidbit. It's not very clear in the TV show, but in the book, mm-hmm. it, it's very, you know, they keep mentioning it a lot. Okay. Yeah, Joe brings it up several times. Okay. So she says, uh, he says, do you want to go out for a drink sometime? And she says, yes. Email me. I still can't find my phone. Because Joe has it. He has your phone back. Stop listening. (laughs) Stop it. And so Joe's on cloud nine. You know, everything's great. Do I noticed a lot of times when Joe is talking to Beck, I'm in the show, it'll be just her face and then everything else is like super blurry. And I'm like, is that his tunnel vision when he is just in his, like, Beck is the only thing that matters and I am only, like, because there's several shots like that um, where everything goes. and it It's just focused. Yes, yeah, so intensely focused and everything is blurry. Even the first time we see her face, that happens. Yeah. No, yeah. that's a really good point. Because I was like, is that, because it felt to me like, oh, here's his tunnel vision of just, like, I love that. Oh, my God. Probably. Yeah. That's a that's an astute observation, Laura, right? Oh, well, thank you. 
So how this pilot episode ends is Benji in the cage with a big bloody spot Ugh. on his head. It looks nasty. It does not look good. And Joe says, to Beck, I'm going to help you get the life you deserve. He says that to her or? Oh, in his mind. Yeah, he thinks it to her. Okay. Because an interesting thing about the book and the show is that he is always talking to Beck. The whole story, every thought he has, it's it's like he's writing her a letter. He is, you is Beck. He is always addressing Mm. Beck in every moment of every thought he has. Yeah. It's just even more creepy. Well, because even I was reading something that said that Penn Badgley just actually didn't have that many lines. Mm Mm-hmm. That he spoke to other characters. Most of it was that internal yes. dialogue. So a lot of his stuff was just voiceover. Voice, yeah. voiceover work. Which he did a fabulous job. Yes, he did. Lovely voice. Yes, absolutely. And that's another thing. It's like his voice is, to me, it's much more um, like, uh, I, don't, I don't want to use an inappropriate word. Like, it's like smooth. It's very smooth and like soothing in a way that was very different than hearing not say his name. The right. reader on the audio book. book. Santino yeah. Fontana. Yes. Who was um Hans in Frozen. He was also in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Too. Yes, he was! Yes. No, I love him. He's fantastic. But he was so menacing in the audiobook, which I love. I love both interpretations. Yeah. Very different. Yes. Very creepy. But the the episode ends with Benji saying, whatever you think I did, you've got the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. And Joe thinks, no, I don't. I thought he said it. I think he says it. Oh, does he actually mm-hmm. say it? Yeah, he's okay. like, no. I don't. And then he just smiles and looks at him. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, Benji. Uh-oh. Benji, you is fucked. Like, super fucked. <laughs> so, super, super kamehameha mm-hmm. fucked. Mm-hmm. What, what my first thought was, because, you know, as a woman, you always know that if you see the person's face, you're dead. Mm-hmm. You That's are it. dead. You're dead. We so, addressed that in the fall. Yes, in the fall, when he has the the girl pinned on the bed and she says i think she says to him i haven't seen your face and he takes the mask off and it's like oh no you're You're dying so that was my immediate thought it's like he's seen your face you can't live i feel like we've unpacked a lot of things talking about this episode yeah some of our usual follow-up questions i don't think we need to get into just because we've talked about so much but does this pass the Bechtel test remind me what the Bechtel the Bechtel test no I know what the Bechtel test is but it's like what are what's the criteria the Bechtel test is are there more than one female character yes Yes. do they both have a name Yes. yes and do they have a conversation about something other than a man or a love interest they do, um, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I don't know about it. It's harder in the book, and it's not really fair because, again, we are entirely in Joe's eyes, so we don't get to see all of her conversations. I feel like we get to see more of her conversations with her friends mm-hmm. um, and her family in the show, and I, it passes. Yeah, and again, like we, like I like to always mention, just because something passes the Bechdel test right. does not mean it is um, suitable or appropriate. Oh, Maybe sure. that's not the right word. Not suitable or appropriate, but... Um, doesn't mean it's good. It, right. And it doesn't mean that it's a good representation of the female character. That's what I meant. Sure. I do think this show brings up a lot, especially on a second and third viewing, which this was my third time watching the pilot. Nice. It, it does bring up a lot of questions. Every time I watch it, it brings up more and more questions. And what I really love is that these characters, the men, the women, Everybody is flawed. Mm-hmm. They make bad choices. They make good choices. Mm-hmm. No one's 100% perfect or mm-hmm. innocent. It doesn't mean they necessarily deserve what's coming to them. Right. 
but everyone reacts, responds like a human, which is not always well. You're absolutely right. It it shows good writing, um, good character development. Um, She did a fantastic job, I think, writing this book, but translating it to a show, um, I think they did a a really, really great job of fleshing out the characters. Mm -hmm. So this is from the perspective of a male character and a not good person mm-hmm. male character oh like probably like the worst person like to put it lightly <laughs> why do you think that this is an important one for us to talk about i think it's important because i think especially for women and men to understand that a man doesn't necessarily have to be overtly toxically masculine to have bad intentions or to be on the wrong side of an issue mm-hmm. there are plenty of men that tout progressiveness and say all these things about how woke they are. I hate that word, but you know, they'll say things like that to seem progressive, but deep down they don't actually share that belief. Right. So I think it's really important that we see the different interpretations and the different variations of what that can look like. And I also think it's important for women and, and men sure to see how much societal bias and conditioning affects how we think about ourselves and how it affects how we perceive and judge others. Yeah, that's really great points. I want to quote from a review that I read of the show that I thought was really good. The review, is that okay to quote a review? I have the, Absolutely. Okay, so the author is Jay Bammer, Bamber, sorry, B-A-M-B-E-R, from the site popmatters.com. He said, the show has a genuinely insightful unpacking of the ways in which threatening male behavior has been packaged by society as normal dating practices. Yes. And I was like, that is like the perfect, a way in which, so eloquent, I could never say it exactly like that. So I just wanted to quote quote that reviewer. Um, and I think that it speaks to what you just said as well, Lacey. Um, it really made me think about, we talked about this too, things like, you know, that could be, you know, perceived as romantic in, in our society that um, in some ways are, are so can be so close to something more sinister like emotional abuse. That can be harmful. Very harmful, yeah. Um, and again, I know Joe is an extreme, of course. He's, he's a hardcore extreme. Um, but it can be seen in, in smaller ways, too, in um, oh, yeah, there toxic are... male behavior. Right. Well, it's, it's like a microaggression. Right. It's a microaggression against women. It's like mm-hmm. that can look, that may be be perceived as innocent but it's not right it's it's just as harmful right absolutely <laughs> figure out how to edit that so i know one thing pin badgley yeah pin badgley um was he's getting so good he is that? working overtime yeah. Dude, he's fantastic he was show. getting a lot of tweets from people saying that they loved joe Joe's so hot oh my god i love joe <laughs> and kidnap me oh i know and he was like oh. no thanks <laughs> he's like i'm yes. good no and he was tweeting back to people saying, no, you're missing the point. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And someone said, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? Joe's so likable. Or And they kept making, like, these comments. Exactly my point, where it's, like, it's it's humanizing him. It's allowing him to be likable, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And people are picking up on that. And that's what they're picking up on. They're not picking up on the creepiness. That right. And Pin, Pin Badgley obviously has. Right. And what I love that one comment or response that he had that I loved was, oh, this gives me something to work towards in season two. Mm. So this has already been renewed for season two on Netflix, and I think we are in for a much darker, more um, sinister version of Joe, more like what you're you're describing from the book. Yeah, and you know, I think um, 
what was interesting for me watching the show, having read the book, is I I really bought that this this was Joe to like the average person, which is why they're not in his head, so they don't know, which is why Beck could have fallen for him, which is why the things that happened could happen. And that made it all the more scary. Because when you're just in his head, you keep thinking, how could somebody like not see the signs? Like, but then you see an actor like um, Penn Badgley, did I just mm-hmm. Penn Badgley, you see an actor like him who brings a, a very, again, um, human, like, you know, disarming, like, um, charismatic, charismatic, all those words, um, unassuming quality to the character that makes you see why someone could fall into the trap of, like, thinking that they're a good person, thinking that they, you know, have good intentions. Yeah. And I just caught on to something. <laughs> His name's Joe. Average Joe. Ah! Because like, he makes a big deal about he's not Joseph. He's uh-huh. Joe. He's just a, he's just an average he's just Joe. Joe. And you don't ever expect the average mm. Joe. Ah! Yeah, that's, that's a good Caroline Kepnes. Yeah, that's a really good insight. Have you read the sequel book? I haven't. There's I, a sequel? I didn't even realize there was a sequel until the show came out. Um, and I'm I'm totally gonna read it now because I wonder if that's what season two. Apparently, because the first, you know, the first season took from the book, but there are some differences, obviously, which we've discussed a little of those. Um, apparently, um, season two is going to be the same way, where it's going to take from the second book, but there's going to be differences, of okay. course. Because, without giving any spoilers away, the end of season one and the end of the book are very different. Um, and mm. so, I mean, there's, there's some similarities, I should say, but the very, very end is very different. And so, that, I think, is going to feed into season two so it's going to have to be different i think then then but again i haven't read her second book so i don't know all the answers all things to look forward to i know it's really exciting she's only written three books dang she's fantastic her prose is it's just like i was totally engrossed the whole time like it makes sense she's only written three books because that is a lot of detail mm-hmm. a lot of detail what's Lacey? what is your grade for this i think i'm gonna go with I mean, I should maybe B pluses and minuses aren't the best way. I, I want to say this is somewhere between a B plus and an A for me because I feel like our world could have been better reflected and the people th- that make up our world could have been better reflected in the casting. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, I think especially watching it through a third time again, I think it brings up a lot of interesting talking points. It's really engaging. It's really exciting and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and it just kind of makes you question a lot about what the things that you think. And it kind of makes you question a lot about the biases that you have in your own head, the way that you react to these characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of juicy stuff in there. So, yeah, I'm going to I think I'm going to go with an A. Laura Ray, um, do you what is your grading for the book and for the TV show? Yeah, you know, I'm going to give them both an A. I read the book first, like I said, and I, I love the book. Um, I was, again, I was really terrified when I was reading the book. There were, of course, moments where I would hit myself because I found myself being afraid for Joe to get caught, (laughs) Um, which reminds me of, like, if anybody's ever watched the show Dexter, I mean, not the same at all, but that's the feeling of, like, oh, I know what he's doing is not necessarily good, but because he's the protagonist, there are moments, you know, where, you know, or the anti-hero or whatever, there are moments where you're with him. Um, or the scene in Psycho where the car doesn't sink and you're like, oh no, he's going to get caught. Right. And you're like, well, what am I doing? <laughs> I think this is indicative of a good writer or yes. a good director that can make you feel for someone you're not supposed to. Right. And I will say, um, I read in an interview uh, with Caroline Kepnes that um, they asked her about, you know, what, how does it make you feel 
that readers are sympathizing some with Joe. And she said, you know, it, 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 it's important to me because, you know, I think there's a lot of things in Joe's mind that we as humans can relate to this feeling of like, um, the world is out to get you. Everybody's had a day where they felt that way. Um, it's a matter of like what you do with those feelings, like what you choose to do, the actions that you take. And obviously Joe takes some really horrible actions, um, which makes him a really, you know, a terrible person. He's a monster. Um, but it is a really interesting thing, I'm sure, for her as a writer to see everyone's responses and unpacking this story. And you're right. It's a testament to how great of an author she is. So book and A, um, the show and A as well, it was different, um, but I, I appreciated the differences. Um, I liked getting to see more of the, you know, side characters. And I say that as like, not just Joe, like we get to see a lot of different characters, not only from his eyes. Um, and that to me was really interesting and, and made it more, all the more engaging. And then all, for all the reasons that we talked about, there's so much you can unpack from the show. Um, but just like I said before, and I think, um, something, one of the biggest things I took away from watching the show, uh, again is, it is, it's a different form of toxic masculinity. It's maybe not one that we're as used to seeing, um, but it's equally as dangerous. Um, and of course, Joe's the extreme, but the behaviors um, are pretty terrifying. And it's something to, you know, to be aware of. Can I throw one thing in? Another thing that, you know, we're talking about rom-coms and how, like, close, like, there are moments that are like, this could be a rom-com, except it's super sinister and terrifying mm -hmm. because of the circumstances. There's, like, that big rom-com, like, I don't know if trope is the right word, but, like, that you should never give up. Like, if you love someone, you should never give up. Yeah. And I've always felt like that's really, like, dangerous and, like, a scary thing to think because th that's not really true. Like, right. yes, of course, like, if you love someone, you want to be there for them and you want to help them. But there is a point in which if somebody is telling you no, like, I don't want you, like, I, I don't want this, that you have to give up, of course, and you have to move on. If you love someone, let them go. And so this is, like, taking that idea to the effing extreme. Because that's his whole, he says this multiple times, like, like I would do anything for love. Like, I, I'm doing this all for you. Um, like, that's what romantics do, is we do anything to get the girl. And it's, yeah, it's really dangerous and scary. <laughs> Meanwhile, she hasn't asked for any of this. Right! Oh, yeah, even more important, like, he's, like, stalking her. And yeah. He, like, builds this whole scenario where they meet um, and begin dating. So anyways, long story short, AA. AA. <laughs> Lara Celeste. I was completely enthralled by the show and I thought it was fantastic. I give it a A plus, I don't know, just in there. I haven't finished the book yet, but I'm the same with the book as far as I'm into it. Mm -hmm. I think both are just fantastic and the writing is great. The acting is great. It makes a point. Yes. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. brings up a subject and it highlights a lot of things that women go through that I don't think a lot of men realize. Because you hear things mm -hmm. and you hear, oh, you know, we're worried about being attacked or we're worried about this. But to actually see what that means. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and it's also kind of a comment on what we normalize. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, totally affirm. Okay, so Laura Ray, what is your recommendation? Awesome. So I would recommend the book Behind Closed Doors. It's a novel by B.A. Paris. The reason I recommend it, it is essentially a reverse of you. Um, it is from the perspective of the victim of a really terrible situation with a really horrible man. Um, and it's a great book. It's written very, very well. Um, female author, female protagonist. Um, and it's a really good, exciting read. So... That's why. Cool. Lacey? Um, I have two this week. 
the first one, which fits a little bit into the stalking domestic abuse themes that we find in this pilot, is the movie from 2002 called Enough, starring Jennifer Lopez. Mm. And um, it was a pretty big hit, if I remember, so I'm sure it's not uncommon for people to have seen it. But if you want something with a really satisfying end, I don't know how it holds up. I haven't seen it in years, but it really came up in my mind because it was just thinking about a woman who is put in this situation, who is being stalked by an abusive husband and is trying to protect her daughter and care for her. And what happens when enough is enough. The, the journey and the end are very satisfying to watch. Nice. Even though it is directed by a man and written by a man, but Jennifer Lopez is incredible. So. Mm-hmm. And then my second recommendation just kind of plays on the fact that we unpacked a lot in this episode, more so than I feel like we usually do. There is a great series on Facebook from Jada Pinkett Smith called The Red Table Talk. Mm. And this features three generations of women. It's Jada Pinkett Smith, her mother, and her daughter. Mm. And they discuss a lot of issues. And they'll sometimes they'll have guests, but the issues that they can cover are mental illness, domestic abuse. They even talk about the racial divide between women of color and white women. Mm. And it is so... Such a good listen or a watch, if however you choose to absorb it. They there is so much wisdom and eloquence in that, those group that group of women, and I just really appreciate. I really appreciate it because it it gives me perspective on a lot of issues that I may not understand and I may need to enlighten myself on, or it helps me kind of flush out things that I that I've thought or that I haven't considered. Awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out. You you should. I think they do a new one every week almost. And like I said, they, they cover so many issues dealing directly with women. Nice. Write that down. So, Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett Smith. My recommendation is the book The Last Mrs. Parrish by Liv Constantine. And actually, Liv Constantine is two sisters who wrote the book together. Oh, cool. I have, okay, I know this book and I want to read it. It is about Amber, who has decided that she wants to become the next and last Mrs. Parrish. And the book is told from two perspectives. It is kind of when the predator becomes the prey. Mm. And it's really good. I'm in the middle of it right now. There's a lot of things that kind of reminds me of this but also what we were talking about where you have to trust other women and how then that can also come to bite you in the back if the other women are terrible (laughs) but there's also a, a lot of really toxic men in this as well so and it's always things aren't what they see. Mm. Oh, that sounds very interesting. So our person of interest for this episode is the other person who recommended you to me, and that is Tony Arias. Tony! Woo! Thank you! Thank you, Tony. Uh, really enjoyed this, and he was one of the ones that told me in October to watch this. So he was in the round of people who discovered it back in the beginning before Ooh. it came to Netflix. Very uh, nice. Very hipster. You're yeah. trendsetter, Tony. <laughs> trendsetter, tastemaker. Nice. And thank you, Laura Ray, for being with us today. Yes, thank you, Laura Ray! Thank you, guys. I had such a great time. You guys are wonderful. Uh, we love having you on, so please think of more suggestions so you can come back and be a guest again. Oh, I will. Excellent. We also wanted to let y'all know that we will be taking the month of March off to record a bunch of stuff, work on our website, new logo, all kinds of exciting things. Work, Yay! Working on our glow up. 
Ooh. Yeah. So cool. mm? we will miss you all in March, but we will be back in April with some exciting new things. Yeah, we'll be quiet in March. Yep. And then we'll come back. Everyone say bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Fems. To keep up with us, please follow us on Twitter at Fatal underscore Fems. Have a suggestion or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. While you're at it, make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode because if you didn't, we'll find you. Thanks for listening.